0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Very right, well, good morning. It's uh, great to have you all here this morning. Um, we're currently in a series called uh, Refocus, uh, and it's the start of the year. It's the start of the decade. And so we just want to kind of focus in our, in, our hearts, our intentions uh, upon the risen Lord and, and hear what he's saying to us in this season. Um, and last week, we looked at a life-changing encounter between that risen Lord Jesus and, and a Samaritan woman. A woman who, if you were here last week, you, you would know that as, as a woman in those times, it was already a bit of a taboo for Jesus to be talking to her. And he broke that taboo. He broke that legalism in order to speak to this woman. And the other taboo was that she was a Samaritan woman. And if you, if you know anything about Jews and Samaritans, they don't get on. <laughs> They don't like each other. And so so Jesus deliberately went and sought out this woman, met with her and demonstrated great love to her. And she was there, scorned by society and hiding in shame. And yet Jesus comes right into her story and brings something of healing and life. Ransom, healed, restored, forgiven. And that leads her to spirit-filled praise, adoration, joy, worship, And it's all built on a foundation of truth, the truth of who she is, that Jesus already knows everything that she's done, and the truth of who he is, because he's the only one that can make an effective change for her. And that's the basis of all of our worship. Who are you? Know that. Be honest about that. But bigger than that, who's God? Who's God? That, in turn, put upon her lips an incredible invitation and she went back into the village and she said to all of the guys, come and, come and see, come and hear the man who told me everything about myself. And in turn, those people, they gave their lives to the Lord and they then were celebrating and worshipping from a place of spirit and truth. Come and encounter the one who already knows everything there is to know. And I just say that this morning, come and encounter. There's no hiding from God, but you don't need to be afraid of that. Because he knows you fully, and yet he loves you fully. And that's incredible. And if this church is to grow, it actually scrub that. If the kingdom is to grow in this town, it won't be because we do church well. It, it won't be because of the things that we put on offer. The, the home groups, the, the men's and the women's ministries, the, the kids' church, the walking groups, mums and tots, uh, craft clubs, creche. Whatever it is that we do, that's not going to grow the kingdom. But these things are still important, beneficial, valuable, enjoyable. They, they don't cause growth, but they provide us with somewhere to invite people to. But we've got to know this. We're not inviting people to a thing, to church, to a ministry, to a mums and tots thing, to, to a, a crash or, or to a craft club. That's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of everything that we do is to bring people, invite them to meet Jesus. Uh, And if if anything that we do isn't fulfilling that mandate, then I don't want us to waste our time and resources on it, because what's the point? Everything is geared around, we want you to meet Jesus. Why do we want people to meet Jesus? Because we know that he is the author of life, that he already knows everything that there is to know about us, and he loves us deeply, and he alone has the power to take us out of the place where we are and lift us up. Take us out of that miry clay and and, and place us with our feet on a rock. Reach into our lives, reach into our depression, reach into our shame, reach into the things that are in our mind that we know we've done wrong. Only Jesus, only Jesus. So it's him that we are inviting people to. So we, and that's me and you, need to be inviting people regularly, earnestly, sincerely, confidently, warmly. Uh, and we're not trying to force people. We're not trying to Bible bash people. We're not trying to tell them that they're wrong and that they need to get saved or you're going to go to hell. You know, that's, we invite them to meet Jesus. Let the Spirit do the work. Amen. Let the Spirit do the work. Invite people to come and meet with the one who already knows. So I'd encourage you, invite people to church. Invite people to home group that's what they're there for. We invite people to men's ministries when we get those going and the women's ministries. Invite people to the walking groups that we'll have. If we have mums and tots, invite people, if they're a mum and have tots. <laughs> <you know. laughs> invite people to the craft clubs. You know, invite people to ad hoc events. Invite people to Matty Steele's to have a cup of coffee and a chat with no strings attached to it. I- invite people to our homes, whatever. I- invite, because all of these things exist for that one purpose. To, to allow people to come before Jesus so that they may encounter him. Your, your job's to be invitational. Your job's to be confident and willing to say, come and meet the one who told me everything I ever did. He's the reason for everything we do. Uh, and last week we looked at, uh, it was about open hearts. This week it's about open homes. So there is uh, following on. And there's this verse in Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. And it says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's a curious verse, isn't it? Uh, and, and in the ESV, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, and notice the do not there. Do not neglect. To show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I had to be a bit careful preparing today's message, because one spelling mistake, and we could have been talking about Pythagoras. You know, hospitality is actually a really, really big theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. From start to finish, hospitality is a major theme. And and some examples of this that I'm just going to lay out to you now. If you're taking notes, I'll, I'll, I'll make the references, but hopefully Jess will also pop these in the Go Deeper notes this week. In his letter to Titus, Paul mentions that the practice of hospitality is actually a required characteristic of somebody who's going to be an overseer or an elder, you know, somebody, uh, a level of leadership in church, that hospitality is required for leaders in the church as a characteristic. That's quite interesting. But in Romans, he tells us to share with those in need and practice hospitality, blessing and not cursing. Uh, and, And that's suggesting that it's for all of us, not just for the leaders, Practice hospitality. Don't neglect hospitality. Pour out hospitality. Bless people. Don't curse them. Speak a positive word over somebody, not a negative word. And that's in in Romans 12. And then Peter says that it should be practiced without grumbling. That, that yeah, yeah, maybe your mac cheese isn't working out as your plan to go, but you know it's not the people's fault when they're coming to your house. So be joyful. Be joyful when you welcome them. And if you want the best mac cheese in the world, go to David's house because he it honestly is the best mac cheese that I've ever tasted in my life and he's very precise as well it's, it's the same every time oh no I'm going to move away from this straight away it's a bit controversial <laughs> okay wow we went there that's the uh, church has just entered a new level um <laughs> blessing or not cursing uh, leviticus it stated that a foreigner must not be mistreated and that's particularly pertinent now as we're trying to host people from other countries who are running away from disaster and, and we need to treat them like they belong not like they are an inconvenient truth in the corner of our world Treat them as natives, that's Leviticus 19. In Isaiah, God confronts religiousness and legalism and actually says that the right outworking of our relationship with Jesus Christ is that that we would share our food, that we would give shelter, that we would provide clothing uh, for the hungry, for the wanderers, and for the naked. Uh, And that's in Isaiah 58. And we're actually going to go there in a couple of weeks' time and look at that passage in more detail. But religion that doesn't care is wrong. It's dead. Yeah, great word there. It's dead. It's dead religion. So if we're not caring, and if we're not being open hearts, open homes, then there's something wrong in our religion. So hospitality is about providing security, sanctuary, sustenance. And actually, hospitality is about inclusion into society. To say, you belong. I want you to feel like you belong. How many of you, when you have someone come over, say, make yourself at home? And hopefully we mean that as well. Because, you know, when I come to your house, I will make myself at home. <laughs> Whether or not we should is never up for discussion. Whether we should show hospitality, it's not a debate that we can have. It's so clear. You can't have an open heart with a closed mouth. You can't show hospitality if your door's closed. It's impossible. But as we do offer hospitality, something really incredible happens. Entertaining angels? Without knowing it? Now, hold that verse, the Entertaining Angels verse, in your mind. But we're going to go to Genesis 18 and read together. So whether that's in your Bibles or your devices, uh, or if you just want to see because it will come up on the screen. But we're going to have a look at Genesis 18, holding in our mind. Do not neglect to show hospitality for some have entertained angels unaware. So Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. There's instantly a kind of a reverent sort of submission going on here. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Now, washing your feet was, was a real mark of respect. It was expected. It was a customary thing to happen when somebody comes to your house to wash their feet from their dusty journeys. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed, and then go on your way now that you would have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, keep a marker in that chapter. And we're just going to have a quick look at some of these points here. Because there is a curiosity about strangers and angels. Now, we know that hospitality is described time and time again in scripture. It's aimed at the stranger's. The journeyer, the, the, the outsider, the, the foreigner, the outcast, the desolate. That's what hospitality is aimed at. It's easy, isn't it, to welcome people that we know and we love and we're familiar with, we're comfortable with, who we find easy going. My temptation when I'm opening up my house is to open it up to people that are going to make me laugh or bring some encouragement or something like that because it's easy. But that's not, in the Bible's mind of hospitality, that's just friendship. That's brotherly love. That's part of just being family. But but actually, hospitality is about the stranger, the person who's less easy to have around, the person who doesn't see things the way you see them, the person who might even argue with the way you see things, and opening up your door to them. Go into the whole world and make disciples of people who are like you. No. All nations, all people... If the outworking mandate for every church is seek the lost and mature the found, then what is the evidence that the found are maturing? They seek the lost. That's the evidence of maturity in a believer's life. There are those who are gifted evangelists. There are those who have a knack, a God-given, spirit-filled ability to make sense of scripture and make sense of God to people and, and, and almost draw them almost effortlessly to the presence of Jesus, to encounter him. But evangelism is for all of us and it is the mark of our maturity as a believer. Do we open our mouths in some capacity, in some way, because we can't keep inside the truth of who Jesus is? Go to the lost, to the stranger, the outsider, the orphan, the widow, the sick, the sinner, the desolate, the despicable. Go. Practically, if if you're limited, a practical suggestion here, if you, in this fellowship, as one of our regular attenders or soon-to-be partners or whatever, if you're limited with your own resources, with your time, with your finances, and you have to choose who to show hospitality to. Then open your homes to those who are strangers. Open your homes to those who, who, who don't know Jesus yet. Use, use that wisely, purposefully. Because this town cannot afford for Christians to close ranks, to, to look out for our own and to shut the doors. A, a church that locks its doors while its members are inside has failed to see what church should be. And I know there's some risk Attached to some, you know, some places where you might meet as church, there's a risk attached to leaving your doors unguarded. There's a vulnerability that we're called to. And if we trust that God has our future, if we trust that every breath that I have in my life is given of him, if I trust that I will not leave this planet in flesh form until he says so, then, then why do I need to be afraid of man? What, what can man do to me that God can't have authority over? So we can't afford to shut our homes. And now look at this. When you host strangers, sometimes you don't know who is in your company. It's a really curious thought that when we welcome people, we could be hosting angels. Well, What does that mean? Is, is it saying that the strangers are angels themselves, drinking your tea, eating your tunnex tea cakes Or does it mean that angels are present as we welcome the stranger, that there's a heavenly host that sees and knows what we're doing, that in a sense we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses as we run this race? What is clear in this verse is that it's not every time. It says, some have entertained. Some have entertained angels. And it's not something that's noticeable in this instance, because it says, unaware. You don't know who you're hosting. You don't know who is seeing the good thing that you're doing for the Lord. So, so maybe sometimes angels are present but unseen. Or, or maybe sometimes the strangers are angels. Without any defining features, so you wouldn't look at them and go, ooh. <laughs> Either way, there is a deeper thought in this text... And the writer is connecting with something for a greater purpose. This verse in Hebrews isn't about angels first. It's, it's not a foundational verse for the theology of angels or angelic beings. It's not even about hospitality. How's that? This, this verse that we looked at talks about hospitality and entertaining angels. But it's not about either of those two things. It's about the gospel. That's what this verse is about. It's about the gospel. And the good news about Jesus Coming to seek and save the lost. That's what this verse is about. God coming for us when we were strangers. When we were enemies. And and he says, now therefore go and do likewise. And so we we welcome the strangers and provide hospitality to reveal the one who came to seek and save the lost. Who who went to the stranger, the outsider, the orphan, the widow, the, the sick and the sinner, the desolate and the despicable. The one who came for us. So what the writer wants you to connect with is that when you offer hospitality, you do it because of the Lord and as unto the Lord. There's a sense here where the writer of Hebrews is connecting with Jesus' thinking in Matthew 25. And for those of you that don't know, that's where he talks about the sheep and the goats and how they're separated. Uh, And the separating factor really is about heart and action. And Jesus says to the ones who are like, well, God, if, we, if we'd noticed you naked, we'd have given you some f- clothes. If we'd noticed that you were hungry, well, of course we'd have given you some food, Lord. If we'd known it was you, we'd have provided you water. But you see, the people that came to our door didn't look like you. They were messy. They were a bit smelly sometimes. They looked violent. It looked like they were going to rob my telly, Lord. So they, I, I don't think you came to my house. And he said... As much as you do, for the very least, you do it as unto me. Is it worth me getting my telly nicked and somebody having an encounter with Jesus that means that they share eternity with him? I'd trade my telly for that. Do everything to others as though that person was Jesus himself. And maybe angels are in the room when you show hospitality, Jesus certainly is, every time, every time. But the writer of, of Hebrews, he's a Hebrew himself, he's speaking to Hebrews, uh, and he ha- also has in mind this verse in Genesis that we've just read earlier. So let's have a very quick look at that again. It's not going to come up on the screen, but Genesis 18. Verse 1 says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Uh, the word Lord there is, is actually Yahweh. Okay, so we know Yahweh is God. So we know that, that God appeared to Abraham, verse 1. God appeared to Abraham. And they also notice there's a full stop at the end of that sentence. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Full stop now follows the description of what happens next. See the connection there? Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Different word this time. The word he uses this time is Adonai, which is when we talk about Lord Jesus, we often use the word Adonai for, for Jesus as well. But it's a different word and it could be used just to say Lord as in Lord Sugar or master, or what have you, but it can also be used to depict God. So you've got two instances here where Abraham is recognising one of these guys as being slightly different. There are three of them, and he bypasses two of them to go to the one and calls him my Lord. He recognises his Lordship. And listen, Jesus, whatever we say, whatever we think and whatever we know about angels, there's one thing that's very abundantly clear. Jesus is always higher. He's always greater. He's always like the one that we seek. He's the one who can change things in our situation. He's the one that can reach into the depths of our story and make a difference there. He's the one that is glorious. He's the one who is worthy. And so we seek him first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And later in verse 13, the, the Lord questions Abraham about Sarah laughing. And the word used there. These are the same three guys, and it says the Lord questions why Sarah laughing, and the word is Yahweh. God has appeared in flesh at this point in time with two other beings with him to speak to Abraham, and Abraham knows it, and he shows them hospitality. And in these passages, none of them are referred to as angels. But if you look onto Genesis 19, you see that the other two are clearly identified as angelic beings. So what an odd encounter Abraham has here with the living God in front of him and two angelic beings. And that's what this writer in Hebrews is kind of connecting with as he's talking about this. So one of these angels is Yahweh, and that's the point That's the point today, that when you have open hearts and open homes, you're welcoming Jesus. You're serving him. Treat everybody, outsiders, non-believers, as though you're serving Christ directly, because in the greater sense you are. For Abraham, to refuse hospitality to these three would be to refuse God, wouldn't it? And for us to refuse the provision of security, sanctuary and sustenance is to refuse Jesus. the reward for opening the door to strangers is that you're actually opening the door to Jesus. Hearts wide open. Now, Now, do we have faith that we can put where our mouth is? To, to go to the sick and to go to the suffering and to go to the lost and to go to those who we don't understand, to go to those who we find confusing, to go to those who are even scared or slightly nervous about. Have we got the faith to be able to do that, knowing that as we do that, we're actually saying, more of you in my life, Lord. But this comes first. Without love, nothing. And this is really where I want to hit this and land this today. What comes first in these verses in the Hebrews? Love each other deeply. Love one another. It's a reminder. And that's talking to the the church, to believers. Love each other deeply, but that has to overflow as well. Hence, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Love each other deeply, show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality and love, you can't extrapolate them. They are linked what comes first? Love. Everything's fueled by love, but it's not ours. It's his. Without love, nothing is worthwhile. Without it, of what good is it to open our doors? Without love, what purpose would we have to invite somebody to a craft club or to a men's or, or a women's ministry? Without love, what is the point in us meeting this very morning? And it has to begin in us with God's Love His great love. And now, am I saying that people cannot love or demonstrate hospitality without knowing Jesus or without knowing God's love? Well, of course not. I'm not saying that a non-believer is incapable of loving. I'm not saying that an unbeliever is incapable of showing amazing hospitality. Uh, Of course not. Non-believers have guests, dinner parties, friends, those they look out for, those who they care for and they care well. Those who they love and they love well. There's great industries that do welcome brilliantly. There's great industry that does care amazingly. And to be honest, quite often they put the church as a big picture to shame with a level of care. So what separates the love that a believer employs to the love that somebody that doesn't know Jesus employs? Well, his love is patient. It's kind. It's completely without envy and without any pride. That's God's love. There's there's no rudeness in God's love. There's no selfishness in His love. There's no irritability or resentfulness or bitterness. It, It shuns the lie and rejoices in the truth. It bears a heavy burden for us gladly. That's God's love. That's what God does. It's faithful amid our faithlessness. Even when we're barely hanging on, God's love is so powerful and so complete that, that almost you don't need to because he's there. He's got you. He's sustaining you with his great love. Uh, and it hopes and it provides hope and it endures and it provides endurance. That's God's love. And what separates us? Because of his great love for us, we are called to love those who we are perhaps irritated by. <laughs> perhaps disagree with, perhaps we deem undesirable or dirty or sinful or unlovable. Those that we would even consider to be our enemies. And we're called to bless and not curse. How? How? Because I get wound up when somebody cuts me up on the motorway. So how do I show that love? And I hate to be wrong. Like if somebody's having an argument, with me, I want to win. How? Only by living in and operating in the love that comes from him. It's the only way that we can do it. Only, only by his love flowing from us like living water, like a river. From, from knowing it, receiving it. You, you can't tell somebody else to experience something that you haven't experienced. You need to know his love in your life. You need to experience his love. Now, some of that experience is knowledge because you can see in scripture what has God done. If God made man in his image and, and delighted in them, but gave them the choice and man screwed it up. And because of that, we've since then all been flawed with sin. And we all know that. We are all capable of horrendous things. We've all done things that we're not proud of, that we're ashamed of. And that we know if there is a God and if that God is perfect, then we have fallen way short of his love, uh, of his standard, of who he is. We can't come into his presence because we'd make him dirty. And yet he loves the world so much that he says, I'm going to do something about this. There needs to be blood shed for the sin that this people cannot get away from. And through the Old Testament, that's animals slaughtered to to make a temporary way for people to come before God. But then God sends his own son. That's love. Sends his own son to pay the price for the things that we have done. And so this morning, everything in your mind that you're ashamed of, everything in your mind that you know was wrong, everything in your mind that you feel dirty about, everything in your mind that you you cringe about and wish you never did, and everything that you know you're probably going to do tomorrow because you just can't help yourself, and you're the same as me. All of that is covered. Covered. Practically and absolutely through his love and through what Jesus has done for us. He's shown his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, God reconciled us. Now, how can I say, you're my enemy, so I'm going to walk away from you and ignore you? When, when I was God's enemy, he came running for me. Without that love, there's no point in anything that we do, in church, in activities, in invitation, in hospitality, without his love flowing into us and out of us. Without that love, it's all just noise, just words, just bluster, religion, cold, dead, powerless, without love. So we need to know it. We need to have experienced it. We need to live in it. We need to be conversant in its language I'm rubbish with French. I, I, it's so bad that one, one day in Dunkirk, I ordered a coffee and I was so proud of myself because I said to the lady behind the counter, you know, un café, s'il vous plaît? And I thought, wait, hey, I'm rocking this. And then I said, un sucre, s'il vous plaît? Yep, got a, a sugar in there as well. Oh, lait as well, of course. Uh, and then I, I meant to say, c'est tout. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want. But I actually said, T- sweet, which means, hurry up. <laughs> And she banged that cup of coffee in front of me because, because even though I'm aware of French, even though I know there's a language, another language there that can be learned and that I can practice it without being French, but, but I'm not conversant in it. And maybe there's people here that they know that God loves them. They can speak some words of that language of love, but there's something not quite connected. You're not able to be conversant in it because you need to know it deep down in your heart and through your life. To demonstrate his love in us, we need open hearts and open homes. And you can't have an open heart with a closed mouth. And you can't show hospitality if the door is closed. If you can't show hospitality, and if you can't show love, then truthfully... And sensitively, I would say, you cannot be being obedient to Jesus if you're not demonstrating love, practically, personally. And you cannot be being obedient to Jesus if the door of your house and the door of your heart is closed to strangers. But what happens when we open our mouth? We, 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 we encounter The love that the Father has lavished upon us through Christ Jesus, calling us children of God. He's a good Father. And how do we open the door to him? By recognising who it is who stands at the door and knocks. Now, if you don't know him this morning, and there's something, it might feel like irritation... And It might feel like shame. It might feel like conviction, like I'm challenged about something in my life. It might feel uncomfortable. It might feel unpleasant. It might feel noisy. And yet what God is doing is he's standing at the door and he's knocking. That's what that feeling is this morning. And if you want to receive him this morning, you take that door handle and open it up. And his promise to you is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door to me, I will come in Mm -hmm. and I will dine Mm -hmm. with them. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, he might be a stranger right now, but if you open the door to him in your life, I guarantee nothing will be the same again because you'll have encountered love that you didn't even think was achievable or possible. What motivates obedience? the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Our response to his love, love for Jesus, shaping the direction of our hearts. If you love me, you will. And this will be the final thing I'll say. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And, And what that sounded like in my head for many, many years was this. I have to obey in order to prove that I love him. So it's all about me being good, me being a perfect kind of person, and and that the weight of my love for him is measured by how obedient I am. But listen to this. If you love me, you will obey. The love that you have for him can only come from him in the first place. And when you make that real, when you understand that, when that is operating in your life you cannot help but have an open heart and an open mouth you cannot help but obey what he's asking of us, you can't help it, love comes first so let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him each other's needs to prefer because it is Christ that we're serving. Guys, bring him into the room. In Jesus' name, amen.